0: Hi, and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a podcast that keeps you up to date on the market and helps you make smart choices with your investments. This is part two of a two-part episode on Australasian shares. Before we get started, we should inform you that the views based on this podcast are those of the interviewees only, and are believed to be reliable and accurate at the time of preparation. As individual circumstances differ, you should seek appropriate professional advice, I'm Chris Wilson from ASB and today we'll be talking with Craig Stent from Harbour Asset Management. Hi Craig, thanks for joining me today and it's obviously great to have Harbour um, Asset Management involved with ASB now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with Harbour?
1: Sure thing Chris, uh, I'm one of the portfolio managers at, at Harbour and also an analyst, so I manage on a day-to-day perspective the ASB portfolio, um, so I'm one of eight people within the team and one of 21 within the broader business, so I've been with Harbour uh, since day one, which is coming up, or well, just over nine years now, so we're celebrating our tenth year uh, this year. So, what are the founding members of, of Harbour?
0: What would you say makes Harbour different? You know, what what are the things that drive how you make decisions?
1: So, from a philosophical point of view, we're a a growth manager, so we're looking for companies which have underappreciated growth, and we combine that with quantitative factors, uh, looking, you know, mathematical. Uh, analysis of of a company alongside uh, fundamental research. That's why we have analysts that go out and look at companies and try and unearth opportunities or growth, uh, which is underappreciated by the market.
0: Coming into you know the Christmas and the end of the year last year, obviously I guess the growth stopped and we had you know what could only be called a, a correction or a bit of a decline in markets as we finished the year. What do you think caused that, and and how does that impact on the outlook you have?
1: Um, I think there was four key points which. Um, you know, caused the upset of markets in, in the last quarter of 2018. Um, I guess the, the key thing has been the tightening of financial conditions uh, around the world. And what that basically means is we've gone from, a, you know, nine years of quantitative easing, so central banks easing uh, monetary policy around the world, and then we moved to that point where, you know, economic conditions came right. Um, and there was basically a synchronised growth around the world and so central banks had to start tightening interest rates, and we saw that happen uh, last year. But also at the same time, they were withdrawing monetary uh, stimulus from the economy, so winding back this QE and uh, moving to a QT, so quantitative tightening. And I guess that removal of liquidity from markets is uh, it's taken liquidity out of the market, so it basically upsets the market balance a little bit until it adjusts. Uh, alongside that, we've seen you know a slowing... Uh, expectations of the rate of growth from some companies. Um, so, whilst economic data is still printing fairly positive numbers, uh, and employment etc. around the world is pretty strong, the pace of growth is starting to decline a little bit.
0: And is that the same story in Australia and
1: New Zealand? Uh, it is. It is to some extent, yes. Um, and certainly, Australia has been up and down a little bit, but New Zealand has been fairly strong for a, a, a considerable period of time. Uh, but we still we are starting to see a little bit of a slowing in the New Zealand economy. We're seeing it in the you know the NZIR, quarterly survey of business opinions. The confidence levels have come down a little bit. Uh, the bounce back in the recent period, but you know you're starting to see the impact on some companies in terms of passing on uh, cost rises etc. Uh, within within their products.
0: As a growth manager, if you know the the growth outlook is slower, how does that play out for you?
1: At a high level, I think although growth is slowing, there are still companies which uh, can still grow their earnings through through all economic cycles. And and I guess there's anchoring that we have in terms of some companies at which we look for. Uh, you know, there's structural growth companies which are playing on sort of four or five key thematics which we look at. So you've got an ageing population, uh, you've got um, sort, of, sort of healthcare issues which don't really worry about the economic conditions around the world. Uh, you've got urbanisation in China, so the growing middle class, lower class consumerisation of products in, in Asia, um, and you've got you know travel, and, travel and tourism. Which these things, whilst might be linked a little bit to the economic cycle, uh, as as people's wealth grows globally, these things still continue on. Yeah, you talk about the urbanisation of China and yeah, I think
0: one of the companies that, that Harbour's um, certainly had some exposure to previously has been A2 Milk. Can you just um, tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure. So, so A2 Milk is, is, I guess, probably one of New Zealand's great success stories in the last three or four years as this company's transformed from being a uh, manufacturing of a product to become a brands company, which is competing pretty much globally with some of the best companies in the world, Nestle, etc. Yeah. Um, and they've found carved out a, quite a good niche in the Asian market for selling infant formula based on the A2 protein. And this this company, I guess, polarizes the market to some extent. And that, you know, there's people that, from a valuation perspective, can't get their head around paying a high multiple for this business. But from our research and experience, we, uh, I guess, we can uh, we form an opinion that the market is underappreciating the growth of this business. And I mean, we liken it to you know, having, having a runway of, of growth and A2's got plenty of runway still. Compare that to some New Zealand domestic businesses which their growth runway is very short. They're probably no runway at all. Um, whereas A2's got you know, opportunities in Asia and more recently opportunities in the, uh, in the US which is pretty much untapped at the moment. It's an interesting point you make around the, the runway and, and
0: some of the constraints for New Zealand companies. I think as we ended the, the last year, um, the Herald published the article around, uh, you know, I think, $3.2 billion of value being wiped off the New Zealand market. It, effectively, it wasn't. It was companies delisting. But from an investment perspective, um, is that a concern for you, that companies are delisting for the New Zealand market? And obviously, we've had some news about TradeMe.
1: Yeah, it, it is a concern for the New Zealand market, but I think it's... This part of the cycle where we see, you know, players come in trying to other players coming look for, look for growth, so they acquire companies and effectively take them private again. But you will see a cycle again where companies come back to the market um, as private equity or whoever deciding for an exit strategy. Um, but it is a bit concerning that we're not seeing a fresh round of new floats coming through. Um, obviously, we've got potentially Port Napier uh, this year. Uh, as a partial privatisation but I think the growth opportunity for New Zealand is you know potentially it's it's not a a short-term thing but you know you've got demutualisation of potentially building societies, uh, companies like Southern Cross Healthcare um, and then potentially you know Vodafone might come back to the market. Not that these businesses are great growth companies but it's going to bolster I guess the interest in the capital markets. And certainly the capital markets in New Zealand have have obviously been supported by a, a
0: strong flow of KiwiSaver money over the last few years and you know that's obviously likely to continue going forward so how does that um, play out for you as a manager?
1: Um, I think you know you know we've seen the performance in New Zealand share market for the last probably 20 years has been exceptional relative to other markets and and that largely reflects I guess our lower volatility characteristics in the New Zealand markets so more defensive stable businesses um, plus the success of some companies growth companies like you know, main threat, fish and Healthcare, and more recently A2, which is, and Zero to that extent, have driven part of the share market returns. The tax working group's coming out in a couple
0: of months with um, their report and, and Michael Cullen. Obviously there's been a, some news about that or some media about that in the press, and. Um, we're starting to see some indications of where that may go. Obviously, there's a potential impact on investments, but I'd just be interested to understand your views on what they might come out with and, and the potential impacts on the New Zealand economy of any changes they may suggest.
1: I think the, the key, one of the key risks for 2019 and further out is this potential capital gains tax, particularly if it comes through on uh, investment products and whether that relates to KiwiSaver or if there's a carve-outs for particular parts of the industry. Um, because it's not a great incentive for investors to invest in local businesses. You'd be better off, um, and, and from our perspective too, we'd be better off recommending some businesses to become an f- offshore business because you get taxed on the, the FDR regime, which m- creates a better opportunity for investors. So, from that perspective, it's not great for the capital markets. Um, but as we've seen in Australia, you know, that they have a tax on capital gains, the market does work through it eventually, but I think this, the short-term uh, uncertainty around it won't be great.
0: Yeah, and obviously the, any changes are likely to be after the next yeah. election anyway, so it is a bit of a wait and see, isn't it? That's right. Obviously, over the last uh, last few while, markets have been pretty volatile, and you know, as an active manager, it's great. You've got the
1: ability to, to not hold the index during times like that. So what do you do as a manager? I mean, this increased volatility, which we've seen in the last three to four months, In some ways is a normalization of volatility Uh, we've you know gone through a long period of time where volatility has been quite low and so when there's volatility increases people get a little bit nervous about things but I think in terms of what we do uh, from a process perspective as we stick to our process Um, we don't freak out or be worried about things we use these opportunities to add to businesses which we are really attracted to Um, because some people just give up the ghost completely and and, and dump their holdings. So it does create opportunities for active managers and um, for those investments you've been watching for some period of time, it can provide a great entry point.
0: And so you, you talk about entry point and um, you know, pricing or valuation changes will impact entry points that you can make. How much are you trying to time the market? Are you looking on a daily basis whether you should be in and out of stocks or is it a, a slightly longer term view?
1: Uh, we certainly have a long-term holding view or perspective on, on investments. And some of these companies take a while to play out in terms of the investment thesis. And it, in some cases, it might be enduring, such as A2, that, you know this could be a multi-decade growth profile for these guys. Whereas some companies uh, might be only two or three years before the investment thesis plays out, and then you move on to the next thing. Um, so it depends on the stocks, but anchoring back towards those structural growth opportunities in terms of those sectors uh, is what we, we bias ourselves towards. And
0: absolutely, I think that's a, a really important part of you know why ASB selected Harbour as one of the managers is that really um, strong um, ability to see how you stick to those core investment beliefs and have a, a process that you, you know, are really proud of and, and continue to use. Um, with respect to um, the outlook and the earnings within the New Zealand market, um, do you think some of the settings that the, the government are making are having a significant impact on... The outlook for the New Zealand economy.
1: I, I think um, clearly we are uh, the economy is slowing to some extent. I think the the key feedback from many corporates is that uh, you know the labour market is very tricky in terms of you know the, the cost and cost from uh, wage inflation starting to come through and the ability to pass on those cost rises to the um, you know the consumer of, of the product or or service. Is a little bit tricky. So, we might see a period where uh, in the up, upcoming reporting season in February from companies, you might see that the sort of the tone or feedback from management about you know, ability to pass on costs and margins might get squeezed a little bit, which is not really a great outcome for um, some equity uh, stocks. But you know, it's the ability of those companies and the pricing power to pass on those costs that was going to be key. And similar scenario
0: in Australia, or are you seeing a different different theme?
1: um i mean australia is a a tricky market because it's quite you know the headline markets dominated by the the barbell of the banks versus the resource sector and but but within that there's obviously a a reasonable amount of other companies industrials etc which you know they might be australian listed companies but the many of them are globally facing businesses which we're attracted to and examples of that is a company called csl which does blood plasma products, which is a global leader in blood fractionisation and plasma products and vaccines. So the type of companies which we look for in Australia.
0: And so when you research these companies, what does that what does that look like? So you identify a stock that might be of interest
1: and then what what are the next steps from there? Um, so, so we have obviously a team of analysts and they're responsible for sectors and companies and they go out and talk to management, talk to competitors. Uh, in the case of CSL, Kevin probably once or twice a year does a global trip visiting different facilities and competitors etc to find the tone of what's going on within that business. And so do you find that
0: time with management and and those tours add a lot of value to your process and you know help you make better decisions?
1: It definitely does it it certainly you know reaffirms that that growth structure that you're looking for in that company the underappreciated growth that the market might not be missing might missing.
0: What are the things that management or what are those key things that you look for attributes in management to for a good company
1: yeah i think it's over a period of time you build to you know you know understand the management and and learn what the the key things are but i think you know you have to be able to trust them to some extent that they're true to their word uh, can deliver on what they've 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 talked about in the past uh, and you know (laughs) understand where they're coming from a strategy perspective Um, but sometimes finding the best you know nuggets of news is coming from not from the management but from other sources it might be competitors or you know industry participants which might see something before the company does and getting on top of those things is important because yeah. sometimes businesses don't go the way you intend them to do so you need to you know either get out or, or, or work, work through it
0: Obviously, you know, for you to to stay on top of the markets and, and what's going on, what are your sources of information? So you you obviously meet companies, but what research or what in, what investment um, information are you getting through on a daily basis?
1: Uh, we probably far too many emails from from lots of different people, but and I guess the key is trying to work out how to filter some of these things and work, look at the most important things. Um, so obviously within the industry, there's broking analysts from broking houses, and most of our analysts have one or two key people which they you know, trust as a leader in the industry or sector and rely on the insights that they have on those particular companies. Um, but, but particularly now, we're paying a lot more in for third-party research, whether that's data provision from other parties, industry participants. And more recently, we've uh, paid for a data um, subscription service which basically looks at um, various sources of information and tries to map together uh, different linkages between the data, and from that we can hopefully find out some leading chatter about a particular subject, uh, which might change our, our conviction on a stock.
0: And on a personal note, what are the what types of books or podcasts do you read to stay up to date with what's going on?
1: Um, many of my books are read to my children at the moment, so it's <laughs> so things like uh, Peppa Pig and uh, Peter Rabbit, but um, probably the, the book I'm chewing my way through at the moment is a book on by Ray Dal- Dalio on principles. From so he's from Bridgewater Associates, and I guess the key things I'm learning from that is that and it's relevant for the times like this that you know sticking with a process, not being too emotional about your investments, uh, which people tend to do having behavioural biases, um, having a strict process around that kind of removes that emotional uh, element to investing which I think is important in times like this.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really um, valid comment around you know, removing that emotional side. And one of the things we see a lot with our customers is that, you know, when things do get hard, that having the ability to talk to someone about what you're doing, but always coming back to that rationale of why you've made an investment decision in the first place and what your objectives of the investment decision, you know, as long as you come back to those core beliefs, um, you'll you'll make the right call. Uh, which sounds, you know, again, very similar whether you're doing it on a personal basis or as a um, as a professional investor like yourselves.
1: That's right, and I think, you know, being nervous about markets, you should speak to an advisor about this uh, if, if you're concerned about that, but sticking in, 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 in the investment for a long period of time is the best thing to do, especially in equities, because these are supposed to be long-duration assets which you should be investing for five to 10 years. If you really want to grow your wealth, that's how long you need to be investing in these companies for.
0: Thanks for coming in, Craig, and really appreciate your insights into uh, the markets. That's it for part two of our two-part episode on Australasian shares. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to hear, contact us at podcasts at asb.co.nz.